0: Oh, man, we are studying Lord's Day 38, the Fourth Commandment, and thankfully there are no disagreements on the Fourth Commandment. Every Christian believes we should go to church. All Christians want to live and lead godly lives, and we all want to raise our children up in the faith. Sermon over. Oh, Amen. Let us pray. It's not that easy because there are many disagreements on the fourth commandment. There are disagreements within Christendom. The Catholics got a view on the fourth. The Lutherans got their view on the fourth, and even the Armenians chime in with their antinomianism whenever they can. What about the reformed? What about the reformed? The Reformed love, the Reformed, the Reformed love the fourth commandment, but there is a variance, and that love and that variance almost makes me nervous to preach this sermon. <laughs> the, love, the Reformed love this commandment, and there is uh, disagreements, and there are in-house disagreements, and it depends on whether you live in Dort or perhaps preside at Westminster Abbey. You see, Presbyterians believe the fourth is creational and thus binding on all. The rest is complete. All duties except the duties of religion and mercy must be resisted. This means, for example, there is no recreation on the Lord's Day. Think chariots of fire. We're all familiar with chariots of fire. Now, if that movie would have taken place on the continent, there might be a gold medal. There's a famous story of John Knox visiting John Calvin on the Lord's Day. Now, historians can argue whether or not it's a true story, but the story goes that John Knox visited John Calvin on the Lord's Day, and he was appalled because John Calvin was playing lawn bowling. How scandalous. Calvin out there playing lawn bowling. And Calvin was playing lawn bowling because we permitted recreation as long as it does not interfere with worship. You must rest as far as necessary to worship. Sunday is valid, Sunday is necessary. We believe it is the worship day of the apostles. It is the worship day of the ancient church. It is the worship day of the medieval church. It was the, wor- the worship day of the Reformation. It is truly the Catholic day. Lord's Day, Sunday. It is the day to cease, as you can, from your daily work. And from those recreations that would impede worship. You must rest from those recreations that would impede worship. With the works of mercy and necessity accepted. Sometimes your boss is going to make you work. And sometimes your plumbing will run afoul. You can't leave the house. And those works of necessity compound in our technological society, and necessity stretches out as far as our technological society permits. It was easier in an agrarian society to keep the day. But as far as you can, rest rest to worship and rest to commune with god's people but you can play some lawn bowling on sunday if you desire cuz we are indoors <laughs> now what about the world what about the world should the world rest now that's a debate that's a debate worth digging into this evening <laughs> Now I do believe it is wise to rest. It is wise to rest. We we need to refresh. God created us to rest. We are created to rest. But I want to tell you a little secret. I don't always take days off. I have to work on Sunday. <laughs> And I don't always take days off, but I do rest. I do recharge. We are created for rest. But unbelievers are not conscious stricken when they don't rest on the Sabbath. It's not written on their heart to find Sunday as the day of rest. Now, unlike the other commands, honor, preserve life, fidelity, and so forth, the fourth changes, right? We're aware of the change. And it changes because it's covenantal. It was given to the covenant people to fulfill, and it is part of the covenant of works. It is a covenantal law that was first given to Adam. He was to work six days that he might enter the seventh day. And the seventh day, if you have Bibles, turn with me to Genesis Beginning of Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, the seventh day. This day of rest is primary to this creational account, the creational account of Genesis, and I want to argue that it is the focus, it is the apex, and it is the goal of Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 2, 3 is the apex, the goal, the focus of Genesis 1 and 2. And everything is pointing to its fulfillment. It was a unique day. And so we read, well, let me just begin verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and they were all good, right? We, we read that already. God created all good. God did the work good. He worked hard. He worked well, and it was good. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Notice how it just it compete it, it continue it, 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 it explains how he did this work twice. That's that's Hebrew's way of, or that's the Hebrew way of telling you, take notice here. God worked and he finished. In verse 3, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And what we find unique in this day is that this day does not have the pronouncements morning and evening like all the other various days, right? All the other days, God created the day and it was morning and it is evening, the first day and so on and so forth. But this day, the seventh day has no morning and evening pronouncement. It just stands. The day just stands there, timeless, eternal. And it's holy. It's a holy time, and it's the Lord's day, and he hallowed it. It was a holy day. Unlike all the the other six days a week where we are to work, this day is holy. It was a day of rest. It was a day set apart for God. God rested on this day. God hallowed it. It was an eschatological day of the Lord, and it was the day Adam was to earn. It was a day set apart for Adam. And Adam was working towards something. And so God working the way he worked each and every day was a way to spell out what Adam was to achieve. Adam was to exercise dominion. Over the whole earth, God was to work. Excuse me, Adam was to work, and Adam was to enter this rest. Adam was working towards something. That's important. Adam was working towards something. He was exercising dominion, building the eternal kingdom of God. And this kingdom was to reach its consummation on the seventh day, reach its consummation through obedience. Adam was to hallow all the earth. He was to make it all, earth, all holy. And therefore, creation, as God created it, was to be theocratic, Creation was to be theocratic. Adam was meant to build the holy city of God, a kingdom under heaven solely, Deo Gloria. And he was to usher it into the eternal Sabbath. But we know the story. The kingdom was lost. And the eternal Sabbath was barred by the cherubim with the flaming swords. And the earth was filled with sin. And there was no hallowing to be done. No holy people, no holy place, no holy time with God. There was no hope until God spoke. And God promised a king of kings to come, a king of kings to earn that theocratic nation, to build it once again and to enter that Sabbath rest. But from the time of the fall, from the fall to Moses, we call the time of the patriarchs. Abraham and his sons and so forth. And in this time, there was no mention of the Sabbath. We don't pick up on the Sabbath again in the Old Testament until Moses. Because... The Sabbath belongs to a theocratic nation. It can only be practiced in a the theocracy. It only, be all, it only belongs to Yahweh's kingdoms. And all the other nations around Israel were theocratic, but they were theocracies of the serpent. And so the prophets rightly condemn the nations around Israel. And when you read the prophets when they condemn Israel, or excuse me, when they do condemn Israel by the way. <laughs> but when they condemn the nations around them, this is important, they condemn them for violating the 10 commandments, every 10 commandment but one. The Sabbath. Because the 4th belongs to God's people, and it can only be practiced in God's kingdom. Interestingly enough, there it is again. I apologize for that. Hey, Liz, text my father. (laughs) Oh, my brother this time. It's a family affair to interrupt Pastor Jared. Where was I? Okay, so interestingly enough, uh, it can only be practiced in God's kingdom. There we go. Interestingly enough, what is the true name of the Ten Commandments? And we saw the true name of the Ten Commandments this evening from Exodus. Uh, the name of the Ten Commandments is the Tables of the Covenant. The Tables of the Covenant given to God's people from thy God. From thy God for God's people to fulfill. The fourth commandment belongs to the covenant of works. This means not everything in the Ten Commandments is moral law. There are parts of the Decalogue that are specific to Israel. For example, in the fifth commandment, if you obey the fifth commandment today, it doesn't lead to you dwelling well in the land. We're not all hoping to honor our mother and father to get a piece of Palestine. And we don't kill people for violating the fourth commandment. There you see the theocratic nature of the commandment. And the fourth commandment was the sign of the Mosaic covenant. Now circumcision was the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. It doesn't go away. Neither does the fourth. Only they change, and they both change because covenants may change. The moral validity of it God separates a people to himself changes, but taking their children doesn't. He wants your whole life. He wants your children. But the covenantal sign changes. We know it changes with baptism. And the fourth changes. Now, the sign of the fourth distinguished Israel from the rest of the world observance of the Sabbath day, set them apart. The Sabbath day was a covenantal sign to Israel to distinguish them from the nations. They were unlike the nations as commanded. They were distinguished from the nations because they kept the Sabbath. It separated them from the world. And like Adam, they were to be be a holy people in a holy land, holding to a holy time. And like Adam, they were to enter the rest. They were to earn the Sabbath. But like Adam, they failed. Hosea 6.6 6 says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. That is, the Lord desires obedience. He says, verse 7, But like Adam, Israel transgressed the covenant. Aha, there's that covenantal lexing, that covenantal word for Adam. Adam was under covenant, covenant of works, we call it. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Israel transgressed the covenant. God desires Israel's obedience just like he desired Adam's obedience. And Israel, like Adam, failed. But the Mosaic covenant did not end until Christ was born of a woman and born under the law. And Christ earned the Sabbath day. He fulfilled its obligations. He is the true son of Adam. And through his act of obedience, he hallowed time. He made holy a people, he made holy a place. He rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven and the theocracy is now in heaven. There is a theocracy, church, and it's spiritual. And it is only for those who have found rest in Christ. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest, rest. Could that be the Sabbath rest? Is it ironic that chapter twelve, right after chapter eleven, Jesus is condemned for misusing the Sabbath by the Pharisees? Ironic, I think not, because Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He fulfilled it. He fulfilled. He gained Genesis three two. Excuse me, Genesis two three. Are you tracking this biblical theological understanding of the Sabbath? <laughs> So unbelievers do not have this rest. Just like we don't baptize, communion, we don't make church for the unbeliever. We want them here. We invite them here. We desire that they be here. But the heavenly reality is not theirs. They don't belong to the substance of the covenant. They don't have Christ. And they are condemned by it. So it is a moral law. With a caveat. The fourth is a moral law. With a caveat, just like it's a sin to not be baptized, and it is, but it only belongs to God's people. See how that works? There's a distinction there. And theocracy is now in heaven, and that theocracy is worship. Another important text. If you have a Bibles, turn with me to Revelation 1.10. We looked at the beginning of the book. We got to look at the end of the book. Revelation one ten. We read in Revelation one ten that John says, "I'll give you a moment to turn there." Revelation one ten, famous passage. You're well aware of it, I'm sure. John says, "I was in the spirit." On the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying and so forth. Now what's important for us is two things. He was in the spirit and he was on the Lord's day. This is the only time in the Bible where we, where we hear about this Lord's day. This Lord's day, Monday, the Lord's day. Now the Lord's day here is the seventh day of creation eschatologicalized, I don't know. It's an eschatological day. It's a fulfilled day. And by the Spirit, John was taken to heaven. That is, John, by the Spirit, entered the eternal Sabbath. The Lord's day is the already enthronement of Christ. He's already enthroned in heaven. Christ's holy work has brought in the eschatological rest of Genesis. This means when we worship right now, we are not on earth. That's Hebrews, right? We are in heaven. In worship, we are in heaven. In worship, we are in Genesis 2-3. This is Genesis 2-3, people. Worship is Genesis 2-3. Worship is therefore hallowed. Worship is therefore a holy time for a holy people in a holy place. And it belongs to us. And it separates us from the world. The Sabbath is our resistance. Worship is our resistance to the world. Worship is how we say we are not like you. Six days a week, we'll be like you. Six days a week, we'll go to your football games, we'll plumb with you, we'll work with you, we'll work for you, we'll vote for you, we'll run for office with you. We'll watch some of your movies, getting fewer and fewer these days, unfortunately. <laughs> we'll listen to your music. But on the seventh when or excuse me, on the Lord's Day when you call, I'm not coming. When they call you up and say, "Come watch football. I got church. So I'm recording it on Tebow. Because the (laughs) door. Worship is hallowed. Therefore we cannot do what we want in worship. We must do what God commands, which Heidelberg spells out. Where's Heidelberg? Here it is. Heidelberg tells us what we must do on worship. We worship as if the coming of the Lord has already happened. We worship as a foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth. Sunday is already the consummation. Sunday is already the consummation. Here we get a foretaste of the new heavens the new earth. But not yet. Not the new heavens and the earth just yet. So we must come back every Sunday. We must come back to be nourished and refreshed. We must come back. The Lord's day is the law. Of God, And from here we are nourished and refreshed. The Lord's day is gospel. It's law and gospel. Calvin said the Sabbath is a day when believers are required to rest from their own works so as to allow God to do his work in them. He works in us his heavenly gospel that we might keep his law, that we might strive to enter that final Sabbath, And so the Lord Day reorients our life in this world. It reminds us that we're pilgrims. pilgrims. It reminds us that our life is heavenly. It reminds us that we're not of this world, but it also reminds us that we're pilgrims in this world still today. There's that already, you know, we're not of this world, but we're in the world. But we're not a part of it. The church at worship distinguishes itself from the nations. Worship is our resistance. And here we pledge allegiance to another king and his kingdom. And it's a theocracy, and you are members of it. And from here, we strive to enter that final Sabbath as we rest with God and his people. And I do think that is something we can all agree to. Amen. At Covenant Reform Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.